0: Hello and welcome to St. Paul's Growing Together, a Bible study podcast resource for the St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Burpinay, Illinois. Because we believe that studying God's Word is important and that through our time together in God's Word, we grow in our faith in Jesus and our love for one another, we are offering you a chance to come grow with us through listening in on our Bible studies. We now join a Bible class on the book of Acts by our associate pastor, Mike Hanel.
1: All right, welcome. Uh, welcome back. Uh, you found us in a different room. We're just going to take a tour of the building and see which, it's like Goldilocks, we'll see which room works best. Um, I know this, this room isn't necessarily ideal either. the 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 chair, the desk situation, um, but it's this, this room had extra chairs like in it so we wouldn't have to keep bringing them in and out. Um, there's one other possible room we could meet in and that's the science room. Uh, and if, if you tell me that this is just a poor room and you don't like it, we'll, we can adapt and change and try our third room and see if that one fits us. But that's why we are in a different room. I know, right? Yeah. So. No, no. Yeah, that's that's not an option. Too too many distractions for you and for me out there. Uh, Handouts. Yes, I know. I it was my problem because all I needed to do was staple these together, and nobody would have been confused. There are four pages of handouts but the reason I did have a reason even though I thought oh yeah if I stapled this together this would be really easy is because some of it I thought maybe you you want to keep or uh, I'm I'm vain enough to think you might want to keep some of this I know really it just goes in the trash um but you might want to keep it and you can fold it up or put it in your bible at. at certain parts, as more of it is more going to be more apt to certain sections of the Bible than others. Um, So that's that's the main reason why I didn't. Or you may say, this page is junk, I don't like this page, but I do like that, and then you don't have to rip it all apart. I did include kind of the catch-up page for last week. These are kind of some notes of introduction. Another thing that I know I'm really fighting against is one, I'm trying to not kill more trees than necessary. So if I can make something fit on two pages, I try to do it. If I finagle the font a little bit and I make it so that you can no longer read it, just. Just let me know. I can print out a larger font version as well. But when I have something that so neatly fits on 2 but increasing the font would have made it go on 3, that's that's one of the decisions I make. So uh, that's kind of the catch up from last week, the one that says Axe Introduction. There's some things on there that maybe we didn't talk about, but mostly things that we did. Second is a uh, handout called Outlines of Acts. Uh, Again, sometimes as you are going into a book, it helps to know that big picture, uh, the structure of it, how it's put together, what you're expecting, and so forth. And the Book of Acts is a book that it it does certainly have a structure. It is well-ordered and put together, but there are a lot of different ways to kind of dice it up. And so I've given you a few different outlines or ways to look at the big picture of the Book of Acts. Just very quickly, uh, the three that are, well, four that are here. uh, One is to look at this as primarily about Peter... And Paul as as human actors in the story. Again, we've talked about how it isn't just about Peter and Paul, and the book of Acts is certainly not a biography of either of those individuals, but the book of Acts certainly does work that the first part, the first 12 chapters, Peter is primarily there and he is the one that's involved in a lot of what's going on again not the only one but he's kind of the big name versus the second half chapters 13 through 28 is going to be mostly about paul and Peter sort of all but disappears. Again, he'll, you'll see him in that latter half, but big picture, that's how some people kind of see the book of Acts, driven by these personalities. The second, and this is probably the most common way to outline it, is based on geography. So the book of Acts is all about the word of God growing. The word of the Lord grows and expands. That message of God's kingdom grows and expands. His kingdom grows and expands. And it does so through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit working in some of these individuals. But you see this growing. And as we'll look at today, it's given some very clear benchmarks of growth. That that first it'll start in Jerusalem and then Samaria and Judea and then to the ends of the earth. And so as that is given early, as Jesus's own word of what will happen, Luke pretty neatly follows that progression in the rest of the book. And so you can divide it up that way. So the first part talks about what happens uh, in Jerusalem, chapters one through six, verse seven, and then to Judea and Samaria, six eight through nine thirty one, and then finally to the ends of the earth, nine thirty two through twenty eight thirty one. So that's a, another neat way. But the problem is with that is although that works as a way to divide up the book, um, there's there's a lot of content in there. And if you want to know a particular story or something that's happening, uh, unless you can remember when it happened in that story, you don't have much to go by. And so there are some lengthier uh, outlines, more expanded outlines, and those are the last two. The first version is there's this repeated theme or idea that's very specific, I mentioned it already, about how the Word of God and the church of God grows. And so, this is repeated a number of times in Luke's gospel, or Luke's gospel, in the book of Acts. Those times are listed there, Acts 6, 7, 9, 31, 12, 24, 16, 5, and nineteen, twenty. And so, repeated Words or phrases are very often a way, especially in an oral culture, to kind of signal, okay, that's that's kind of a transition or we wrapped up that and now moving on. They would kind of hear that repetition and know, oh, we, the, the word of the Lord continued to grow and expand. Okay, that means he's now going to move on to something new. It's that concluding word. So based on that repetition, here's kind of what an outline would look like uh, and the different parts. And you'll notice that, again, it still basically follows that that idea of the growth of the church from Jerusalem outward. I mean, that's, that's always there, but it gives a little bit more detail. Finally, on the back side is a more detailed and lengthier outline. Uh, if you have the Lutheran study Bible. This is the outline that is given there. And it's it's a fairly uncontroversial one. Uh, it's one of the outlines that you can read. And again, if you're looking for a certain story, you could probably find the story based on this outline because uh, it gives you a little bit more information than just that second outline from Jerusalem, Judea to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So um, again, for your Own Bible study and reading. If you don't have a study Bible or something that has an outline, that's uh, my gift to you. Multiple multiple things. All right, the last two handouts, these are what we're going to kind of have in hand. Um, So far, anyway, I might change my mind on this. Uh, We're not really using any Bible study per se, a study guide. I have a number of different resources that I, I kind of peruse and study before class and then kind of jot down notes and we'll talk about some of the things that come up or I'll, I'll punt on some of the things if I don't quite know or if I think it's going to take us too far afield. But I just kind of put together some notes. We may go over some of these things in class, but otherwise um, I just kind of have them there as a reference or things to think about. And you can, if you look at it later and you're like, we didn't get to talk about this, but I'm really intrigued. What what were you thinking when you wrote this? Tell me a little bit more. We can We can certainly do that. The last one is just a handout on Pentecost. And if and when we get to Pentecost, I, I might refer to that. But for now, you can sort of put that one aside. What you should do is open your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 1. And if you want uh, to have the notes sheet uh, accessible or handy or a pencil or a pen, that will work too if you want to take any notes. All right. In our opening class, you said that you wanted to study the Book of Acts in kind of the middle way. Um, You didn't want to... have a class that lasted a year. Uh, the Book of Acts is 28 uh, chapters long, so it's a really lengthy book. But you also didn't want a really quick, just bird's eye view of it. And so I, I'm i making this up as I go along, uh, as I often do. Uh, I'm aiming for about 15 weeks, but we'll see how things break up. But no matter how I do it, we need to cover more than one chapter a day. The problem is, right at the beginning, there's a lot of really important stuff. And so how do you begin Acts and then just kind of skip over that to say, we need to get to the important stuff? Well, the important stuff is here. This is the bedrock and foundation, and so We're going to start a little bit slow here. Um, Again, I didn't assign homework for this class, so because this stuff is important and I want you to hear what we're discussing, we will read sections aloud, all right, and then we'll kind of talk about them from there. Uh, We already talked about last week the introduction to the book of Acts, Uh, who is writing this and why and how it's connected to the gospel of Luke and what's the purpose that this is, A continuation, really, of Jesus's ministry. That Jesus began to do certain things, and those were recorded in the gospel. We have his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and in Luke's gospel he includes the ascension as the last thing, but here, It also is going to be the first thing. So his ascension is kind of like the hinge that connects both of these books. And so that's where we're going to begin today. So beginning with the ascension, this is at verse four. Somebody can read. We're going to read just that paragraph on the ascension. So that's, uh, sorry, not four, six. Small print, I couldn't even read it. Verse six through 11. Somebody can read that nice and loud if you would.
2: So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up
1: So just reading that, and again, trying to get to the the big and important things so we can be moving along, there's kind of three big ideas. You could argue that there's a lot more things happening there, but three big ideas. One, God's kingdom. Two, the Holy Spirit. And three, uh, Jesus's return. His ascension is what this is all about, but there are three different things that kind of come to the surface, and all of them potentially are rabbit holes that we could go down and never get back because there's so much there. So first of all, when, when you hear God's kingdom, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Where, where are you going when you hear Jesus or, or Paul or somebody else talk about God's kingdom. What are you thinking? Heaven? God's
2: heaven.
1: okay. here on earth too. Okay, so heaven and here on earth. Judgment? Judgment. God's people? So in, in God's kingdom, the, the primary focus is not a location, right? This is not a reference to a place so much as it is to an idea that God's kingdom is God is king or that God is ruling. That he rules over all things, okay? So God is in charge. He's this powerful one. And what does his kingdom look like? It isn't just about God being powerful and almighty, is it? It's not. Because when Jesus comes, he says God's kingdom is at hand. And what does he do? What does he start doing? When he returned to me? No, in Jesus' ministry. The, this is not the first time we've heard about God's kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. This, these are some of his first words, right? Converting people? Converting. So he says, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. What, what, does, what does that have to do? What does repentance have to do with God being king and ruling?
2: Turning
1: Okay, turning his people to salvation, so this has something to do with salvation. So it's not just about power, it's about salvation. Other things that Jesus does, he heals people, he raises the dead, he casts out demons, he teaches people what it looks like to live as God's people, he he preaches both law and gospel to them. All of these things are a part of God's kingdom as well, right? Because this is what Jesus says. Uh, remember in, uh, uh, there's this episode where John the Baptist kind of, it's unclear. He, he's in jail and he has his disciples go ask Jesus, are you the one or is there another? And depending on your interpretation, that could be John trying to get his disciples to see he's the one. Or it could be John really struggling with, wait a second, I thought this was God's kingdom. Why am I in prison? This kind of stinks. Jesus tells him, tells the disciples that is, to, to go tell John what? What he's seen, which is all, all of those miracles. And so this is what God's kingdom, it looks like new creation. Right? It looks like this world before the effects of sin, before the, uh, the effects of the fall, that, that God is, is recreating things. So, this idea that God is king and ruling isn't just about a power thing of, of who's in charge, who's on the throne. It, it ultimately returns us to the Garden of Eden, it, it returns us to the picture of what God intended. If God is king, what would God want to see happen? He would want to see creation flourishing, humankind loving one another and worshiping him. This, this is what we were created to be. It's not what we know right now because of sin, but this is what God created us to be like. And so Jesus is coming to, to kick out Satan from our world and from our hearts Our gospel reading today, Luke 10, because this really belongs to God. We belong to God. And so all of Jesus's actions are directed towards that, but his healings and the miracles that he did weren't the thing. They were signs that pointed to Jesus's own death and resurrection, where all sin is brought upon him and new creation. On the third day, he rose again, and we will as well. Again, if you're into the catechism and all of that, or even the Lord's Prayer, we talk about this in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Mm -hmm. Thy kingdom come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the explanation to that, you don't have to remember it word for word, but do you know the gist of what Luther says? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it will come because it's God, God's kingdom, and God is the mighty one, but it, it is come. It has come because of what Jesus has done. We pray that we would work with God and be on his side rather than fight against and oppose it. What might it look like to fight against God's kingdom or to oppose it? Death. Death, okay. Sin, yeah, anything that's contrary to what God would will. So the Ten Commandments, breaking any of those, worshiping other gods, being faithless people, all of that stuff would be against that. So that's the big idea of God's kingdom. But when in Jesus's day, people hear about that, some of them get that, they understand that. But there's this strain that, has been there for centuries that you can't just make go away. That once we were promised that we would be a great nation, right? This is the promise given to Abraham. And once we were a great nation. Remember when King David was, was the king? We, we had peace on all sides, because he was kicking butt and taking names, and we prospered, and this was all really good. And then things kind of went down from there, and eventually that kingdom just went away. It's destroyed. God promised that he would restore his kingdom. People heard that promise, and What they held on to was not all the stuff that we just talked about. Like, that's sort of there. But, oh, you mean we're going to have a kingdom again? You mean we're going to be powerful against all of our enemies? That this is just a this world promise? And Jesus' promise was so much greater than that. So Jesus' disciples right now, they're thinking, okay, Jesus, everything's been done now. You, you were crucified, you rose again, let's, let's now bring back this kingdom. The spiritual stuff is taken care of, so now let's rule. Let's have this, this world physical kingdom. And Jesus has to say, no, that this isn't the time to restore the kingdom to Israel. In fact, he just kind of brushes the disciples off and says, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the times, the events, any of that stuff. It's easy for us to speculate on that, to to speculate on what does the end game look like and what does it look like for us. But Jesus here, especially with his disciples, is, is showing them that that's a preoccupation that they need not have right now. There's something more pressing and more important. It's not that the Bible isn't going to teach anything about What does the end look like, the new creation or any of that? It certainly does, but that's not going to be our preoccupation. That's the ultimate. Right now, there's something that they need to do. What is it that they need to focus on, and what are they going to be doing? Spreading Spreading the word of God as witnesses, right? These are the ones who have witnessed everything. They've been there in Jesus's ministry, the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows. They, okay, they abandoned him at the time of his, his death, but they knew that he was crucified and put in that tomb. And then they don't know what to do, right? They, they, this, this, he was the Messiah. This is, this is not what it looks like for God to be king and rule. He was mocked and beaten and tortured to death what's what's going on there but on the third day jesus raised risen from the dead shows himself to all of them and again and again he gives them those proofs i'm real i'm alive physical touch me let's have some food together let's have some breakfast let's let's eat some fish And through those many proofs, the disciples are witnesses of everything. How does God's kingdom come? It comes through his word and through his sacraments. When we are given Jesus's victory, that Jesus is that ultimate king and he has done that. And so now if if that kingdom is going to come, Jesus is saying, don't worry about a kingdom, worry about the Word, the Word of God, the Word of your witness. Because as I said in Jesus's day, this is the only way to verify that something really happened. There are no video cameras, there are no recording devices. Eyewitnesses is how you prove an event. And there's not just a couple eyewitnesses. We know from 1 Corinthians 15, there were tons. And Luke said that the disciples were given many different proofs of Jesus' resurrection. And so they have to spread that word. They're not going to do it on their own, though. The Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is going to be given to them. So this is the next, the next step, Jesus says, but wait for the Holy Spirit. This is what raises the question. Do they have the Holy Spirit now? Or what's what's going on now? Because Luther taught me that faith only comes through the Holy Spirit. It is a gift of God. So what what's what's happening with the disciples spiritually right now? Holy Spirit yay or nay? Yay. Okay, yay. Then what if they have the Holy Spirit, why do they have to wait for the Holy Spirit?
2: Holy Spirit to give them extra power?
1: Mhm. Yeah. Languages. Yeah. Yes. They had the presence of Jesus all along, uh-huh. and now they're waiting for that extra power from the Holy Spirit. That's oh. how I see it. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, again, this this idea of of the Trinity of God that that where the Father is working, the Son is there, and the Holy Spirit is there working, and and they're all together. Um, and so, has the Holy Spirit been involved in Jesus's ministry, for instance? in big ways right his baptism boom like that's kind of the the prime example the holy spirit comes down on him like a dove Uh, the father proclaims this is my son whom i love listen to him that happens at the transfiguration again so all of that stuff is there we know the holy spirit's already been active in john's gospel after jesus's resurrection remember there's this scene when jesus goes to the disciples who are all gathered together and what does he do he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, my peace I give to you. And that idea of peace again connects with the forgiveness of sins. There is reconciliation between us and God because of Jesus's death. So he gives peace to his disciples and that peace and the Holy Spirit are, are kind of one in the same. It is given through that gift of the Holy Spirit, and then he goes on to give them what we call the office of the keys, right? That they can forgive the sins of those who have sinned and retain the sins of those uh, who are unrepentant. So yes, the Holy Spirit has already been given, but they're going to receive kind of, as you said, more gifts from the Holy Spirit, more power. When we talk about the Holy Spirit uh, giving gifts uh, and receiving the Holy Spirit, again, the picture is never really that we like lose the Holy Spirit or that the Holy Spirit is like gas in a gas tank of a car. And after living a long time and running the race, we run out of that gas and we need more instead the the picture is always God fills us up and overflows again and again and again, and so usually the analogy that's given is uh, is like with with spouses or with your children, uh, even though you've said, "I love you once in the day, do you like to hear it more than once again and again and it makes it makes you feel more loved and filled up. It's not necessarily that you, you were feeling unloved, because you know that, that you do love those people and that they love you. The, the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit is, is kind of like that. It, it, we, we have the Holy Spirit. We, we never have just like part of the Holy Spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives different gifts to different people, But just because this person can do one thing and I can do another, it doesn't mean like, well, he has that part of the Holy Spirit. I have this part. I wish I could combine those Holy Spirits and like have everything. That's that's not really what's going on. So when they're to receive the Holy Spirit, they already have the holy spirit but there's something new and different that's going to be going on and jesus told them what that thing was you are going to be my witnesses and you can't do this on your own what what i want to be done won't be done by you alone you're going to need the holy spirit to do this and he'll do it through you so holy spirit's kind of the second thing and when the holy spirit is here people who are are still christians but might have different beliefs, different beliefs than us. Uh, this, this starts to become a big point of contention. There gonna be more places where they will read Acts differently than, than we believe. Last part, Jesus's return. So the disciples, yes. Are you going to talk more about the Holy Spirit? Not today, but yes, the Holy Spirit's going to come up several times. Yeah. Uh, Last thing, Jesus' is return. So there's this cloud. I have a couple of verses there about this imagery of, of the cloud. Again, it's not so much the, the case that like there's this spatial thing. Uh, heaven is up there and, and hell is down here. God's spiritual kingdom is is always in our midst. It's, it's not connected to our time and space. But this imagery of Jesus going into the clouds, like there was already in the Old Testament, this imagery of God's presence and the clouds. So like the, the bigger idea seems to be not that heaven's up there, but the clouds signified God's presence and Jesus is is there. He is now with the Father and not here on earth. And this is kind of an important end note for Jesus' time with his disciples? Because prior to this, it's been 40 days since his resurrection, and what has Jesus been doing during that time? Appearing, Appearing, giving those proofs of his resurrection, and Encouraging. encouraging his disciples, showing them in God's word, in the Old Testament, how all of this has been according to plan. So he's teaching them to read and understand the Old Testament in in a whole new way. Yes, they were always preparing for the Messiah that's there in the Old Testament, but we start to see how they're quoting the Old Testament in ways that I don't think they would have done unless Jesus had showed them and taught them, this is what's going on, and this this really was about me, and this really is about you. So Jesus is doing all of those things. He ascends, but the disciples, they're just sort of like, all right. Now what, what's next? What, what do we do, right? And then two angels, two men in white, it would seem that these are angels say, Guys, why are you looking up in the sky? Don't you know that Jesus will return in this same way? And again, this focuses on some really big imagery. Uh, The book of Daniel, Daniel 7, has this image of the Son of Man like riding on clouds. Jesus even quoted this verse uh, during his trial with Pilate. And when Jesus refers to himself and his ministry as the Son of Man, it it sort of seems that that's that reference to Daniel 7 of who is the Son of Man? Well, the Son of Man is this human but divine figure that is exalted and given this almighty power to, to be at God's right hand, to be that position of God the Father and have all of his power and authority. That's what Daniel 7 and the Son of Man is pointing us to, but it's also connected with imagery of riding on a cloud. And so here the disciples probably are hearing this and recalling those words. Oh yeah, he, he, he has left us, but he is at the right hand of God. He will come back in glory, and, and that's a good thing. So again, if they're looking too far forward to how is all of this gonna come together, Jesus says, don't worry about that for now. You've, you've got some work to do and let's focus on that. But again, the angels are going to say, you know how it's gonna end. It's gonna, it's gonna end with Jesus coming back in the cloud and this will be the final act. This will be when we have that new creation in all of its fullness, and all of its glory. Sin is put away. There is no more death. There is no more dying. None of that. It's gone. All of that's here in Jesus' ascension. Like I said, really big stuff. It's pretty hard not to skip it. Some people, like, you know, the Ascension, take it or leave it. It's not in all of the Gospels, after all. It's really only in Luke's Gospel. Uh, It's kind of unimportant, but there's some really important things introduced here, and it it serves some important purposes to keep us focused on what is the task of the Holy Spirit? What is our task? What, What are we a part of? We're a part of all of this right now. And just like the disciples, we are working for God's kingdom. The power of the Holy Spirit is with and among us, and we too are waiting that time when Jesus returns. Yeah. When he returns, will the whole world see it? Or yeah the whole world. Uh, you can turn to First Thessalonians uh, when, when he talks about uh, Jesus' return, and it won't be a secret, and the angel, the archangel, the trumpet, the blast. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's the final thing, and there's, it's, there's like no doubt about it, not just, oh, I, I wonder if I missed that on the news today. Um, I'm not sure what's happening. Just as disciples, or was it at that time the whole world saw him descent? Uh, just as disciples, it, it's yeah. That's yeah, yeah. So it won't it won't be like this. It won't be an exact recreation of this. Of hey, when you guys are back here, then I'll come back. But it's that idea of you've seen me go into glory. I will come back with that glory. Um, yeah. So it's not like a exact replica of this event, but the the idea. Yeah. Okay, the next paragraph is one that I'm gonna kind of gloss over. Uh, th- so the ending, well, it's, it's the next several paragraphs. It's kind of the next episode. It's what happens when now the disciples are waiting. So remember, 40 days after Jesus's uh, resurrection, Easter, is his ascension. And then the next big event is Pentecost. There are 10 days between Jesus's ascension and Pentecost. Okay so there's 10 days and stuff happens in between that. One of the big events that we are told by Luke that happens is that they replace Judas's spot among the 12. Um and there are different reasons that I'm kind of glossing over this. One is that for all the to-do you hear about this, there's this guy named Matthias who's the one that ends up being chosen, and then there's this other guy, Justice uh, Barsabbas, or he's he's given several different names. What do you guys know about either of those individuals? Nothing. They're not going to be mentioned again. So the importance doesn't seem to be on the importance of these individuals, but One is that as you read through it, you hear Peter doing some great scriptural gymnastics, because he's quoting chapter and verse of the Bible that explains exactly why we should be doing this, why we should get somebody to replace Judas. And again, this is part of like, where did he learn to read the Bible like this? Because none of these parts of the Bible talk at all about a guy named Judas Iscariot. This is part of that teaching that Jesus gave them of how to read and understand the, the Old Testament, that, that they're doing this. So um, most, most Christians read this as Peter was doing the right thing at the right time to, to bring the number back to 12. Why 12? What was so important about that? that would, that's the answer most people give. Like there were more than 12 disciples um, that followed Jesus, but we hear about the 12. They seem to be given a special uh, relationship, a special class, a special leadership. But then even among the 12, we hear about like an inner circle, Peter and James and John, but they're not given special titles. They're just part of the 12, right? So why then, if there are all of these groups, some big or some smaller, why still have twelve? Because of the twelve tribes of Israel, because they represent all of Israel and, and would go out to all of Israel. Even though, like, it didn't mean that Peter had to have been from one tribe and James had to have been from another. We know James and John are brothers, so they're from the same tribe, heredit uh, in their genealogy. So that. It wasn't that they were traced to each of the 12, but just this this symbol of 12. Some Christians interpret this as Peter, he's done it before. He says things. He just spouts his mouth off, and they're not always the right things. And so some Christians interpret this as they they were just... They didn't know what to do in these 10 days and and they decided well we had we had 12 once upon a time we we need 12 again because yeah that's symbolism right and so let's let's do this let's get another one of us so again they're choosing from those people that have followed Jesus his whole life, have seen him uh, resurrected. They, they know that proof is there, he's real. So they too can be a witness of everything that has happened. Um, and it seems that there are multiple candidates that fit this. So again, that reminder that there are the 12, but there was always a wider group that was close with Jesus and followed him. These Christians that interpret it in this way, that Peter was sort of doing a no-no, their evidence for this, for that interpretation, is that just what I just said, you never hear again about Matthias. So was this really that important? Did it have to be something that they did? Well, you could argue you don't hear a lot about other disciples who were in the 12. That was never Luke's goal to like give stories about what everybody was doing. That's not what this is about. It's about the word of the Lord growing. And so that can kind of fall either ways. The other argument that's given of why Peter might have been doing something he didn't need to do is that God will add a 12th apostle. They just weren't patient enough. So Paul will be added to their number, right? And what is unique about the apostles is that this was not a designation that somebody gave to himself. It wasn't one that the disciples or other apostles could confer on them. You were an apostle because Jesus made you one. Literally, the word apostle means one who is sent, and the idea of the apostle of what it means to be an apostle is kind of like our modern idea of an ambassador we can send ambassadors to foreign countries and they have authority to to sign treaties to make agreements to speak on behalf of of president or congress you, things will still have to be ratified right if they they make an agreement but they have that power and authority that their word is our government's word. Otherwise, nobody would listen to ambassadors, right? If if I just said, hey, I'm representing our country, uh, talk to me, they'd be like, who are you? Like, we could talk to you, but when you go back to your country... Nobody cares what you say. Nobody cares what you do. You're nobody. But an apostle is like that ambassador. And in Luke's gospel, the apostles really began not here, but earlier in his ministry. He sent them forth as apostles, Luke talks about. And what happens there? They're given the special authority to go to preach the word, to perform miracles, to cast out demons, kind of what we heard about in Luke 10. But in Luke 10... They, they weren't called apostles when 72 were sent out. So again, this designation, the, the big point here is it's always given by Jesus and not another. You'll note that in how the disciples are trying to get to the number 12, they still have this idea, though. Let's choose one from among ourselves. In other words, Jesus already chose us we're part of his disciples, what we would do is we would enroll you into that position of the apostle. We're not going to elect you. We're not going to say that we chose you. It's the Holy Spirit's work. They read scripture, they pray, and then they cast lots. They still view this as not their work. If it was their work, they wouldn't have to do all of this stuff. They just say, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, I choose you. But they still view this as Jesus working, the Holy Spirit working through them. But it's still kind of an odd thing. Um, so that's that's sort of the next thing that happens. And then at the end of this, we hear a little bit about what goes on next. So the big event after Jesus' ascension in chapter 1 is Jesus' disciples get together and add more. The very last verses of chapter 1, and they prayed, um, and they said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. They cast lots for them. The number fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So that's there. All right. Yes, Ken. So how does
0: that just, going back to Paul being the cloud, What? It
1: says you chose, Yeah. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea of Paul is that we do already have 12 apostles. What's Paul known as? The apostle to the Gentiles. So he is given a different apostleship. He is again we find out that it's it's not it's not that black and white because Peter realizes this isn't just for Jews. It's for a guy named Cornelius too, a Roman. Uh but that's that's kind of that no, so the significance of the number 12, it, it might have meant something, but it didn't mean that, yeah, there couldn't be one more. And that one more still has a really important role. Um, I, I don't really endorse one view or another. I just, I thought it was fascinating because, again, when we read this, we're kind of like, oh, yeah, they, they cast lots and, and we don't do that anymore. And that's kind of weird. Um, and again. It sort of is, yeah. I mean, we hear about casting lots when Jesus' clothes are divided. Um, it, it was a way to decide, like dice. Uh, you get the evens, I get the odds, and then see what happens. Um, but it was also used among the priests. Yes, it has, it has background, and they weren't wrong for doing it. It, it follows biblical precedent, but from there on... We read like they did this because they they didn't they hadn't yet received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They they somehow felt that they were lacking in that judgment. Um, One one interpreter that I read sort of made 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 the point that what they did in making decisions is no different from what we all do today. Aside from the dice, we should use Scripture as our guide. We should pray about it, and we should use that divinely gifted common sense, you know? So when we have to make decisions, it's not that we have to roll the dice anymore and figure out which which way the dice fall. Is it scriptural? Have we prayed about it? Have we used that wisdom that God has given us? And in that wisdom, that usually... If it's a big decision, I find that talking to other people about making that decision, sort of helping them way, way through some of your thoughts and decisions. This is basically the process that they're going through. They first looked to scripture and Peter said, scripture tells us that we need, we need to fill Judas's spot. They prayed about it and then they use common sense to make the decision. They said, okay, this has to be the pool of candidates, right? It has to be somebody who knows Jesus. We're not just going to go out on the street and randomly pick somebody. It's somebody, a candidate who made sense for them to pick because he kind of fit the, the, the same requirements that all of the other apostles had and would qualify as a witness. Um, and, and so we do the same thing. Our, our, our decision-making it's it's done in light of this. Um, again, we sometimes make decisions, and we don't necessarily pray about every single thing that we do. Uh, should I have waffles today or cereal? Uh, I don't know. Is there a Bible verse? You know, it, it's it's not like that. But all of our decision making should ultimately be in in line with God's word. Um, but those especially big and weighty decisions are we praying about it? Are we seeking that? godly wisdom and counsel from ourselves and from other Christians and close friends. Okay, I told you we're going slower. We we will speed up. Pentecost we'll cover next time uh, in all of its whole, in all of the fullness, chapter two, and we'll sort of proceed this way. Uh, there'll be parts that we'll zoom in on and then parts that We kind of have to jump over. I'll try to summarize them and explain why it's important, but why we're doing other things as well. Uh, If this is working, then good. If not, I'm sorry, tell me how to do it better. Or you can teach next time.
0: Thank you for listening to this Bible study. If you have questions or comments about something you've heard, let us know by leaving us a comment on our webpage, stpaulslutheran.net, and look for the menu About Us. Our Bible class meets Sunday mornings at 9.50 a.m. at 1780 Career Center Road, Bourbonnet, Illinois, 60914. We'd love to see you there. Come and grow together in Christ with us.